we are talking about the temple. Now, there's a lot of emphasis on Jerusalem. There's a lot of things going on about what's happening in Israel. And, you know, I watch, um, <laughs> actually, I watch a TV um, 7 news out of Israel. Uh, and um, so they have it broadcast, and, and I'm generally I'm able to listen in on uh, all of that. And, and it's interesting to see how, for, from our perspective, we believe that we are approaching the end times, that Jesus is going to return, and that these things that are going on in, in Israel and the surrounding region are all the prophetic picture of what, you know, taking us to this point of which Christ returns. And during this, uh, his conversation, this new, he's, he's talking with uh, four individuals. Three of them are from Israel, and one is from the Netherlands, I believe. And um, he, he was talking about how, um, different ones had said, about how that the um, Jewish, the Jews uh, of Europe have migrated to the U.S., and how that the Muslims have migrated to Europe. And it was interesting how that the U.S. is supporting Israel and how that Europe is basically supporting the um, Muslims and the, in, in the um, what is it called, the, the Strip, Gaza Strip. They're, you know, you know, forcing or, you know, basically backing them and that Israel is to, um, you know, to watch what they're doing and they're the aggressors. But anyhow, as he went on through this, he said, and then he, then he mentioned about how that uh, Russia and China are involved and that they're in the background also. <laughs> Not only is there Iran playing into the picture, but there's also Russia and China. And in, in prophecies, in the scripture, it talks about Gog and Magog, which is the, per the area that is in Europe, which is Russia, and their leaders, and also talks about million-man army going across the Euphrates and into into the Palestine. So it's like, wow, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't plan it or write the script any different than it is in the, better than it's already written thousands of years ago in the scriptures. So, but today I'm looking at the temple and the importance of the temple that is in, in Jerusalem. Now, there is the, uh, a prophetic message about how that the, the Jews will rebuild the temple where the mosque is. Now, how that's going to play out, I have no idea. But I thought I would look at the temple and how important it is and how that this all got started. So if we uh, would go to Genesis chapter 2, this is Abraham, and Abraham has had the promise he and Sarah would have a son, and they had a son, and his name was Isaac, and God had promised that Abraham through him all the you know, through him, the descendants, all the world would be blessed. So everything's going well, and Isaac is, is often pictured as maybe a, an eight- or a nine-year-old boy, but mostly he, most think he is in his teens. And um, they go to the land of Moriah. And that while he is going to this land of Moriah, God tells him, you go there, and when you get there, I'm going to, you know, show you where you need to go. So he and... Um, his um, group, Abraham, Isaac, and his servants, traveled to this place. They got, the they got the fire, and they got the wood. Isaac carries the wood on his back, and he takes it to Mount Moriah. Do you have that picture? And Moriah, this is the first time that this place is mentioned 
uh, in Scripture is the Mount Moriah. And it is on this mountain where, if you look at it, it's kind of <laughs> how that it's, you've got a high place with um, the, the kind of at the very top of the peak, you have kind of an up-built area. That's the rock, okay? And that rock in that area there is where Abraham offers, he builds an altar, binds his son Isaac, and lays him on the altar, and he's going to sacrifice him. Because God said, take now thy son, thine only son, take him to this place and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, child sacrifice in that region was not um, unfamiliar. The, the other gods that the people worshipped in this, the, committee, the, the communities near uh, the Mediterranean Sea, the Philistine communities, they had child sacrifices and stuff. So Abraham, maybe he thinks that the God that has called him also is a child sacrifice. But Abraham is different because when he leaves the, the, the servants that are with him, he tells them, you wait here, I and the boy are going to worship and we will come again. Meaning that he believes in the resurrection. He knows that he's going to kill his son, but he believes that God will raise him from the dead. Now what is important here is when Abraham is raising his hand to kill his son, that God stops him. Don't do it. And there was a ram, lamb, ram, caught in the thicket off to the side, and the ram is sacrificed instead of his son. So what we are seeing here is the ram was the sacrifice in place of his son, Isaac. The ram was a substitutionary sacrifice. And this is what, you know, we're could, can, if we could condense this whole message into a couple of words, it is the substitutionary sacrifice. The lamb died instead of Isaac. Now, if you, you look at this, you see how it's all stepped. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it's no, there's no flat place there. And this is where eventually the Temple of Solomon, where the mosque is today with the Dome of the Rock, it's up on this, and it's on a flat platform, but <laughs> it's all hill. And so they have these walls that have been built by Solomon and that that platform is all filled in with dirt and you'll see the walls later. But that's the picture of why there's such a descending um, picture to Jerusalem. So in 2 Samuel chapter 24, David did something that he wasn't supposed to do. Anybody have an idea what David did? You don't have to worry, I won't quiz you, Ruth. <laughs> so, but uh, what happened is, David, God commanded them, don't take a census. Do not count the number of people in Israel or in Judah. Now, when David counted, they had eight, um, 800,000 Israelites and 400,000 in the tribe of Judah. But David was not supposed to count them. Why? Because God wanted David to trust in him, not in the numbers. So as we look at Israel today, we would say they're just this little sliver of a land about the size of New Jersey taking on the whole Arab world. And there's this little sliver of a nation, and they don't have a prayer. And so we look at this, and David takes this census, and God tells David, 
that he has sinned, and he needs to take account of this. And what happened is David committed himself to God and God's judgment upon him and the nation of Israel for his counting. Well, anyhow, a plague comes upon the people, and for, the, for a whole day, thousands of people are dying, and David goes before the Lord, and he asks God that, you know, he, the people shouldn't suffer for my sin. So God tells David <laughs> to go to Moriah, to go to this place, and there he will buy this land that this rock is on. He will buy it, and he will buy an oxen, and he will build an uh, altar to God for the sin that he has committed. And so uh, we look at this, and, and in Ezra chapter, no, Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, uh, when Solomon began to build the temple, in nine, 967 B.C., so we want to have a little date here, 967 B.C., Solomon begins to build the temple. And um, Second Chronicles says, Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, the place provided by David. So here we have the same place, Abraham offers Isaac. David offers an ox as a sacrifice for his sin. And so what we have is Abraham, David, and Solomon at the very same place. Um, so what holds all of this together as we begin, begin to go through the centuries? What holds this together? Well, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 6 says that Solomon is like, he's building this temple. And he, said, he, he says, to, uh, who is able? Who is able to build a temple for God? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. How am I going to build a temple to contain God? And then he comes up with the idea, he comes up with this part. He says, who then am I to build a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? Hmm. So Solomon then builds this temple and the holies of holies, the very innermost sanctuary of this temple, is right over top of that rock where Abraham offered Isaac, who the ram came as a substitute, who David offered an ox, it's a substitute for the, the death of, the, of, of Israel. And now Solomon builds a temple so that it will be the place of sacrifice. So the purpose of the temple then is in Hebrews chapter 13. I thought I'd just jump this in there. Am I on or off? Did it go off? Okay. I'm still on. Oh, imagine that. I didn't hear any cheering. I thought it went off. But anyhow, Hebrews 13 says... By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. So, you know, just holding that thought about the, the temple and the, the rock, and it's a place of sacrifice. Well, if we go the whole way into the New Testament, we find that we as believers, in our relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the rock upon which I stand, we are to offer God from our temple of the Holy Spirit 
the sacrifice of praise to God. It's like we're thanking God that there was a substitute who paid the penalty for our sin and that our life can be committed to him. And so we thank God for his blessings on our life, even whenever they seemingly are not things that we're, you know, we're not happy about them. Why should I be thankful? Because we are saying that we believe that God is capable of changing things for the good. And so we, pray, we, th- we praise him for who he is. So in Leviticus, now jumping back to where we're at with the, the temple, in Leviticus 17, verse 1, why do we offer sacrifices of animals? For the life of the creature is in the blood. You see, it is the blood that sustains life. And the blood represents the essence of life, and shedding of blood represents the shedding of a life. So when we're looking at the sacrifices of the Old Testament, we find that it is a, it is, they take the, the blood of the animal and they would take it and, uh, and sprinkle it on the altars, and part of the animal was burnt as a sacrifice. But the point is, the shedding of life by the blood is that this blood is a substitute for the sin of the people or for so the blood atonement then is our redemption and our recognition that a price has been paid for my sin and so there was a substitute given and these animals were sacrificed and it was a blood sacrifice so that the animal was there in place of of the sin for the sins of the people so a sacrifice in Hebrew is called korban, korban, and which comes from the word bringing one close. <laughs> so when God talks about this in the Old Testament, the sacrifice, it's not the idea of killing animals. It's the idea of bringing man close to him. And the animals became a covering the, the, the blood of the animal, the life of the animal was given for the sin of the people. And so the sin of the people would be covered so that they could come close to God. And so the, the purpose of the rock with Abraham and Isaac, and Isaac did not die, but the animal was sacrificed that God would come close and honor the promise to him and to his son. In 2 Kings chapter 25... This is about 587 B.C. The last one was at uh, 967. This is 587. 587 is in 2 Kings 25.9. He set fire to the temple of the Lord. (laughs) This is Nebuchadnezzar. The children of Israel have rebelled against God. Prophet says you're going to go into captivity The Babylonian Empire comes and conquers Israel, conquers, puts a siege around Jerusalem, and the um, king in Jerusalem, he fights against Nebuchadnezzar. What an idiot. Uh, (laughs) You've got this whole Babylonian Empire, and what happens is when Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, takes down the city, he burns Jerusalem. He burns the temple, the great temple that Solomon built, They took all the treasury, the gold lampstands and all the gold vases and stuff out of the temple. They took it back to Babylon and they burnt the place. They knocked the stones off of the platform. Got the stones on the platform? 
So what happens then is right here we have kind of where the stones landed. There's this high wall. You know, we often hear of the wailing wall where the, the, where the Jews in Jerusalem go to pray. This is a continuation. Um, if, you move, if you were able to move over to the left, you would have the wailing wall where all the people are praying. But on top of this wall here is the, remember we said how steep the walls were as the, the valley went down away from the rock? Well, those are the high walls that the temple platform was on, and the buildings on top of the platform were knocked off. <laughs> and this is the remnant of them. They've moved out a whole bunch, but they're still there on, these, on this walkway. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he destroyed the place. Um, so in 516 B.C., Ezra is allowed, what happens, the Medes and the Persians conquer the Babylonians, and Cyrus, the king of the Medes, says to, to Ezra and to them, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild your temple. So what happens is, when the temple was taken down, the temple was, the, 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 for the Jewish people, it was their connection with God. And when they lost the temple, they had no way to make connection with God. So we find that th for them, it was an extremely important part of who they were as individuals uh, to be connected to Abraham and connected to um, Solomon and David. It was their way of connecting to them and to God, to their traditions. And so without that, they were left. So Ezra and Nehemiah, they go back to Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple. This is the second temple. And basically what they were doing is repairing the temple. And um, they repaired the temple, and so they built it, but it wasn't as grand as before. And then comes along Herod the Great, about 33, somewhere in there, um, B.C., 37 B.C., and Herod the Great build, rebuilds the temple to a magnificent structure. This would have been the temple that Jesus was part of. When Jesus, in, you had another one of the, in the, early, the late temple, or the, um, just the temple in Jerusalem. Um, this was the temple that Jesus would have been in. And uh, that's the mosque. Um, maybe I didn't give that one to you. But anyhow, there's a, the, the, uh, it's a mock-up mock -up of the old Hebrew temple and the platform. And, um, we find that this is the temple that Jesus was a part of, where Jesus would go in and teach the people and uh, um, be able to let them know what was going on, you know, pre teaching them about the, the message. When Jesus was 12, he went there and confounded the rabbis and all the, all of the scholars. But what happened, we know that Jesus died, and, well, we know that Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll build it up. But he wasn't pointing to the temple uh, that was the bones. And they're telling him, you can't build this. It took 40-some years to build this. And you're going to do it in three days? And Jesus says, it's basically saying, I'm the temple. So this is where the transition takes place. The transition is from the old way to Christ, the Messiah, who would be our substitute for our sin. See, this whole idea of the mount and that is about sacrifice 
and a substitute. And Jesus is the substitute for our sin. And whenever he died on the cross, he was the substitute for our sin. So um, in, uh, what else? We got in A.D. 70, I don't know where it's at here, but in A.D. 70, there was a rebellion. You know, Jesus died in about A.D. 33, 30, 33. It's, there's debate on that. But he died in A.D. 33. Oh, there we go. This is the temple. Now, you've got to understand that this temple is huge. It's probably twice the size of Jerusalem. Why? Because the Jews would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world to participate in the, te- in the temple celebration. And this is the huge temple that Herod had built, rebuilt, expanded the walls and do- done all the great things. And if you li- kind of look over to the left there, those walls, those are the stones that you saw laying on the, on the bricks down below. They're the ones that are going to be thrown over when the temple is destroyed. And that is destroyed in A.D. 70. And um, in the back far corner, you have Antonio Fortress. And the Antonio Fortress, remember whenever um, Paul is um, preaching uh, and he comes back uh, after his missionary journeys and all the people are going to stone him and kill him and people come out of the, the soldiers come out of the fortress and protect him and he's partway up the steps and he gives this, di- gives this speech to the crowd. That's the fortress that he goes to. It's there on the left. And that part where the fortress is runs right into the ground. At this bottom end, it's probably 100 feet. I'm just guessing on how many feet. From the top to the ground, it's this huge distance. And this platform that you see that's flat there, that's all fill. (laughs) It's all fill. And this was the platform that the temple was built on, and the sacrifices was there. Jesus would have taught there. Um, in in that area. But in A.D. 70, (laughs) the Jews are in rebellion against the Romans again, and the Romans say, enough's enough, we're we're just going to take away everything that they feel that is important, and we're just going to destroy this. So they destroy the temple, tear it all apart. And when they tear it all apart, we find that in A.D. 130, so 70 was torn apart, in 130, there is this Roman um, Hadrian. He is a Roman general, Roman emperor. And he comes in, and <laughs> he takes this temple that's no longer there. He flattens it all out mo- even more so, and he fills in the, the places, and he puts a statue of himself and a statue of Jupiter. The walls are down, and so he's forcing Israel to forget their, their temple, and worship Jupiter and worship himself. And all of the holy sites that we would consider important in Christianity and in Judaism, this, um, this guy, Herodian, comes in and fills them all in with dirt. And if you look at the archaeology of this, on the left-hand side behind there, um, today they have dug out uh, probably 15, 20 feet uh, maybe 30 feet down, they've come across the steps that would have led up, that Jesus would have walked and everybody else would have walked up to the temple. And that was all covered in and covered up by this, this Herodian. So he has his temple. Now, why is that important? 
it marks the spot, the exact location of this temple, the exact location of the Holy of Holies over that rock that is connected to Abraham who offered Isaac. It's the same place. <laughs> it's the same place. So the top of Moriah is a specific location. And what happens in about AD 692, a Muslim leader, Abba al-Milik, that's a good one, um, he, he comes in and he builds what we would now call the mosque or the Dome of the Rock. What happened, Abraham built the altar there, offered Isaac. David built an altar there for his sins of counting the people. Ox was sacrificed. It is where Solomon built the first temple. It is where Zedekiah held out against the Babylonians and the temple was burned. Um, it is where Herod enlarged the temple that was built by Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, Seventy years, they came back from Babylon and built the temple, and, and, Herod, and Herod enlarged it about 30 B.C. Herodian, the Roman, built his statue and a statue to Jupiter. And so we have had for 1,300 years this rock, <laughs> this place that is Jerusalem, that is the temple. Now, if you go to the north where it says north up there, you will find a church, and that church has two silver domes, and on the domes is a cross. And that is the location, Golgotha, where Jesus died. And so when Jesus died, he died outside the wall of Jerusalem. He didn't die where the dome is because that is where the Holy of Holies was. The Holies of Holies represented the presence of God. And that rock that's there is where the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that contained the tabernacle, the, the, tents, the Ten Commandments, um, a pot of manna and a rod, Aaron's rod that budded, but on top of that ark were angels with their wings together. And underneath the, where the wings were was considered the mercy seat. And that's where God's presence was to dwell. Now, there was a visible presence of God coming from heaven and filling the tabernacle or fill, filling the, this holy place many different times throughout Israel's history. But that was the holy place. And only once a year could the high priest go into that room, holy of holies, with the blood of a sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, when he said it is finished, that temple, not that temple, but the temple, that, and it had a veil, it was about six, eight inches thick, it ripped from top to bottom, and that now had access to the presence of God. Jesus is our substitute for our sin. Just as the ram was a substitute for Isaac on the altar, Jesus is the substitute for us. He died on the cross. The cross was his altar. We should die for our sin, but God says, no, I will give a substitute, and the substitute is Jesus. So as we look at this, and we say, well, 
I, you know, look at the Old Testament. Is there, any, is, there any, is there any place for this happening in the Old Testament? Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, speaking of Jesus, a man suffering and familiar with pain. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led like a, sl- like a lamb to the slaughter, for he was cut off from the land of the living, and the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. So that, you know, the value of this place to the Jewish people is their connection to Abraham. But for us, it represents our invitation to enter in to the presence of God. That the sacrifice has been paid. Our sins are forgiven because of the substitute, the substitute, Jesus Christ. God said the penalty for sin is death, but I'll pay the price. (laughs) He is our lamb sacrificed for the sin of the world. He is our sacrifice. So Jesus, when he cried out with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. From top to bottom, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You see, the access that was denied is now open. We find that from the sin by from the sin by the blood of the sacrificial by the sin of the blood from the sacrificial animal, we are to enter into the holies of holies. We have access to God. We have access to God. We enter in to the very presence of God by the blood of Christ, which has forgiven us. We enter into intimacy with God, a closeness that we can have with him. We enter into a relationship with God, both in this life and in the life to come. There's just one way (laughs) to enter in, and it's through Jesus Christ. So the rock (laughs) under the dome in Jerusalem, it's a connection to Abraham, to Mount Moriah, It's a connection to David and his sacrifice. It's a connection to Solomon and the temple that he built. It's a connection for us to Jesus and what he has done for us in his death and his resurrection. He has opened the way for us to enter into the presence of God. So the purpose of the temple for the Jews, for the Jewish community, they are are waiting to be able to occupy that place again because that's their connection to Abraham. Prophecy, what's going on in the world today, it's all coming to a close. And it's important that we have that right relationship with God. Whether Jesus returns today or 10 years from now and and things all change in the Middle East, it's important that we have this right relationship with God, that God can help us in every place and in every situation. So this rock underneath the dome is the place what represents God's presence. But now, God's presence is around us. We have become the temple of the Holy Spirit, God's dwelling place. God now lives within us. His presence is there with us. He is never so far away as to be just near. He is right here. And as we confess our sins, 
he is faithful to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have access to the holy of holies, the very presence of God. Amen? Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you were willing to die for us. Lord, you who knew no sin became sin for us. You died as a substitute for us. And all through the history of Israel, you have illustrated this over and over again. And now, Lord, our attention is drawn to this place in the Middle East, this place called Jerusalem and Israel. And God, you've promised... <laughs> You've promised that they would never lose that land again. And that one day you will return to that very spot, to Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives. And your foot will touch it and the earth will split. But that day is far away. But the day in which you promised also, the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. This is the day that is before us. Let us not be weary or uneasy about what's going on. We need to pray that your will be done in us, in our world, and we pray for peace in the Middle East. Jesus, forgive us of our sins. We confess that we have sinned. We ask your blood, O oh God, to cover us Forgive us, wash away our sin. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.